0: Thousands of ghosts have mysteriously haunted people in America's wilderness. Join us this week as we dive into the deep end of these paranormal activities and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to a Halloween episode of Locations Unknown. What's up everybody and welcome back to a very Halloween special episode edition of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host Joe Irado and with me as always is a guy who always checks his Halloween candy for needles and other very (laughs) dangerous objects. Mike Van de Bogart.
1: Uh, thank you, Joe. <clears throat> and thank you to all of our loyal listeners for tuning in. Uh, just a couple of announcements here. We're first going to get to our Patreon shout outs of the week. So. Right, I'm, I'm just shutting this off. That's that's too much organ okay. in the background. <laughs> so there we go. We go but, back. <laughs> very funny music, though. Yes. Um, i like to give a quick thank you to Anna McTaggart, Melinda Heath, Leonardo Martinez Diaz, uh, Dagmara Colasa, and Hejin Chow or Cho. So. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, My uh, guess is it's Heejin Cho. Heejin Show. Sorry for mispronouncing that. I, I'm,
0: I'm probably wrong, too. Well, I don't know. Uh,
1: <laughs> either way, thank you for supporting the show. We've got a, a fun one today. We're doing a Halloween special and we covering some of uh, the scariest creatures that people think about on Halloween. Um, I'll apologize, too. If <clears throat> I sound a little nasally, I'm dealing with some allergies today. So I apologize for that. I wasn't going to say anything, but okay. <laughs> okay. Um, our new subscriptions on <clears throat> Apple are live for anyone who is in the Apple ecosystem and doesn't want to create a Patreon account but wants to help support the show. So uh, head over to Apple Podcasts and search for Locations Unknown Premium, and you'll find you'll find that subscription. Is if you look up our podcast,
0: like, well, is it an option that just pops up? You should see it under it. Um, so like, you can like scroll down under our podcast and just hit a button and be.
1: No, if you search for it, um, the next like box of like the next podcast box will be locations unknown premium. Okay. Um, so, and finally, I, uh, like we say every episode, if you want to call the show and leave us a voicemail, you can call 208-391-6913. And the funniest voicemails will make it onto the podcast. Uh, so other than that, Joe, Oh, we are recording a special subscription only episode right after this. We're going to, Joe's going to talk about his cool trip to South America and, Machu Picchu. And, Ooh, yes. and then we'll be covering some current event stories that caught our eye this week. So if you want to you hear those, head over to Patreon or you can get it on our YouTube subscription or now on Apple subscriptions. So
0: there you go. That one's that will be easy to do. So if you don't like finding Patreon, don't want to spell it, don't want to go anywhere else, just yeah. look it up right on your phone right now. Yes. Like literally right now. <laughs> pause this, go subscribe yes. Then come back.
1: So uh, that's all I had, Joe.
0: All right, everybody, let's dress up and go out (laughs) trick-or-treating. Halloween, a holiday mired in controversy, religion, cults, and candy. Join us this week as we dive into the origins of Halloween as well as popular traditions and lore.
1: All right, so I'm going to jump right into kind of the history of Halloween. This is information. I had a lot of fun researching this episode, Joe, and I didn't know most of this. It's always uh, cool about a thing that we've done forever, yeah. and then
0: you're like, hey, let's actually look into it.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's
0: like time to learn about the thing we do all the time.
1: Yeah, so um, the origins of Halloween actually go back almost 2,000 years. So uh, it, it, it goes back to an ancient Celtic festival called uh, Sowen. Uh, in an area which is now known as Ireland, the United Kingdom, and northern France. Uh, Their New Year back then started on November 1st. So this day marked the end of the summer, uh, like end of the harvest, and the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time of the year that was often associated with lots of death. And the Celtic people believed that on the night before New Year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain, when it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to the earth. In addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, uh, the Celtic people thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits, spirits made it easier for the Druids or Celtic priests, uh, Celtic priests, sorry, to, not the Celtic basketball team, Celtic priests to make predictions about the future. For a people entirely dependent on volatile, natu- the volatile natural world, these prophecies were an important source of comfort during the long, dark winter. And you can imagine, two thousand years ago, they knew nothing about what was going on in the world, and oh, yeah. uh, they're coming up with um, you know different things to explain strange stuff that goes on in the world.
0: Oh, sure, yeah, something crazy happens that like you know, a giant storm that never happened before. Yeah. And you're just like, what did we do wrong? Or
1: like an eclipse or, you know, anything like that. So yes. uh, to commemorate the event, druids built huge sacred bonfires where the people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the deities. When the celebration was over, they relit their hearth fires, uh, which they had extinguished earlier that evening from the sacred bonfire to help protect them during the coming winter. So that is kind of the origin of Halloween. Now it's it's funny how Halloween has kind of morphed over the years. So we're gonna fast forward now to forty-three AD. We're we're now in the Roman Empire. So by 43 AD, the Roman Empire had conquered conquered the majority of the Celtic territory. In the course of in Joe, am I saying Celtic, right?
0: Uh yeah, I think so. Yeah, Celtic cross. Yeah.
1: Celtic. Not Celtic. Celtic. Um in the course of the 400 years that they ruled the Celtic lands, two festivals of Roman origin were combined with the tra- traditional ca- Celtic celebration of Samhain. The first was Feralia, a day in late October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. The second was a day to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. The symbol of Pomona is the apple and the incorporation of this celebration into sewing so probably explains tradition of bobbing for apples as practiced today.
0: Oh, ah, okay.
1: I I remember doing that as a kid. I, I thought it was kind of strange. Like, why <laughs> why is this like part of like Halloween? Do you ever remember doing that in school? Uh, yeah. We,
0: we My daughter just had a Halloween birthday party. We had bobbing for apples. Oh, really? Yeah. So, <laughs> so now, we, now we just did it last weekend.
1: You're honoring the Roman god Pomona.
0: I That was what we actually were. <laughs> uh, we intentionally did that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So... Fast forward to May 13th, 609 AD. We are now uh, talking about the Catholic Church. So on May 13th, 609 AD, Pope Boniface VI dedicated the Parth the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs and the Catholic Feast of All Martyrs Day was established in the Western Church. Pope Gregory the 3rd later expanded the festival in declu- to include All Saints Day as well as All Martyrs. Uh to include all saints as well as all martyrs and move the observance from May 13th to November 1st. So you're kind of seeing how Halloween is coming together now. Yep. Uh, fast forward again, we're now in the ninth century. So by the ninth century, the influence of Christianity had spread into uh, all of Europe, where it gra- gradually blended with, with and supplanted the older Celtic rites. In 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. It's wide, widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic Festival of the Dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday. All Souls Day was celebrated similar, similarly to Samhain, with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils. The All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows or All Hallomas uh, from Middle English. And the night before, the traditional... Night of Sowen in the Celtic religion began to be called All Hallows' Eve and eventually was shortened to Halloween.
0: So it's like a merging of the two almost?
1: Yeah, and kind of political too. You can see the church. Oh, yeah,
0: they're like competing like businesses. Like, oh, you have a festival? I'm going to have a better festival. They're competing
1: with religions. So they're like, we're going to just, you know, know, we're going to move ours to where yours was and kind of merge it. And eventually people just started doing the Christian um, celebrations. Uh, Fast forward now, Halloween in America. Uh, The celebration of Halloween was actually extremely limited uh, in colonial New England because of uh, rigid Protestant beliefs. Uh, Halloween was much more common in Maryland and in the southern colonies. You Uh, probably
0: got burned on the stake if you uh, (laughs) celebrated (laughs) Halloween. (laughs) Uh,
1: So as the beliefs and customs of different European ethnic groups and the American Indians meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, which were public public events to help celebrate the harvest. Neighbors would share stories of the dead, tell each other's fortunes, dance, and sing. Colonial Halloween festivities also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making of all kind. By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn uh, festivities were common, but Halloween was still not celebrated everywhere in the country. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded, obviously, with a lot of new immigrants, and these new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween that we know today. So there's obviously a lot more to the origins of Halloween. That is kind of like the 50,000-foot view, but a lot of that I didn't know.
0: You just went through 2,000 years of history, (laughs) and you brought us right to where we are here Today. Yes. A few days before Halloween.
1: So now Joe is going to start with our first fearsome creature of Halloween.
0: Yes. Werewolves. What are they? (laughs) I'm sure you've seen the movies. The werewolf is a mythological animal and the subject of many stories throughout the world. Werewolves are, according to some legends, people who morph into vicious, powerful wolves. Others are a mutant combination of human and wolf. But all are bloodthirsty beasts who cannot control their lust for killing people and animals. According to the werewolf folklore stories, people caught under the werewolf curse turn into werewolves who are seen as monsters at the full moon. In vernacular tales of humans turning into werewolves, it may result from a spell or a bite. There are legends that humans turn into werewolves, not just by bites or sorcery, but by making a deal with an evil entity.
1: You know what I was thinking of when I was researching the the werewolf part? What? That song, Werewolves of London, where the guy goes, oh, ooh. Yeah. (laughs) You know what song I'm talking about? Nope. Oh, we'll play it after the show. Okay. (laughs) I'd play it on here, but we'd probably get a will get Yeah, we'll get
0: slammed with some sort of strike. Yeah. Until we get our Spotify deal, (laughs) and we can play whatever's on Spotify. Right. Uh, werewolf origins and stories The ancient Greeks feared werewolves. The earliest documented report of werewolves date back to ancient Greece. Some of these reports can even be found in ancient Rome. The Greeks feared of werewolves date back to the scathing warriors Is it scythian, 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 Warri-? scythian warriors. I think. Yep. I, I don't know. I don't know. No, nope, I'll get it wrong. And we'll all Joe, that. Joe's checking it. I should. I'm going to look it up right now. Just, just cause we got to f- see if I'm right here. I think, it's, I
1: think it's Scythian.
0: Scythian? You're probably right. Let's I don't see know. here. And let's see if Google can even do it as a volume up here. S- oh,
1: it just broke it. No S- one. <laughs> Scythian. Scythian. Ah. Boom, boom. Look at you. Yeah. I'm never usually right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never usually
0: <laughs> right. Sixty percent of the time you're right every time. <laughs> uh, Greek historian, her Herdotus, Herodotus, Herodotus. Herodotus, one of the founders of history, likened the Scythian warriors to a mixture of wolf and human beings because of their wolf skins. According to his writings, a culture of werewolf myths was formed among the Greeks. I don't know if you can give the founder of history the credit when he's he's writing history about werewolves.
1: How would you like that, like your LinkedIn profile when you're... One of your accomplishments? I founded history. Founded history. Oh, do you like
0: history? (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Werewolves in Roman culture. One of the most prominent myths of werewolves also appears in Rome. We can say the origin of the werewolf legend is Rome. The stories told in Rome spread fear among the people for many years and spread all over Europe. In Rome, the definition of werewolf is a wild creature that turns into wolves at night, feeding on humans or cattle. People also call these creatures shapeshifters,
1: which we've talked about in a yes. couple episodes. We have talked myth, about that myth episodes, yeah.
0: Yep. The wild creature was given lupus, which means wolf in Latin in Roman culture. The name was eventually shortened to lycanthrope in English. I said that one right, right? That looks I've, longer. I've heard <laughs> I've heard that before when you when we talk to like cryptozoologists. Yeah, they like to use like the official words. Yep. Hold
1: on. throat. Hey, there you go. You got I, that. I got one. it
0: kind of right. I put the right emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> its whole meaning in English is creatures that change shape, eat human flesh, and drink blood, taking the form uh, taking the form of a wolf. Even this description is one of the indicators of how terrible a reputation this legend has among the people. Yeah, those werewolves get really bad uh, press. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you have someone else do their do their, their marketing uh, PR. Yeah. yeah. Uh, The Epic of Gilgamesh. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, which was written in Babylonia, the werewolf is an evil, shapeshifting creature that lurks in the wilderness and attacks lone travelers. In this epic poem, the hero Gilgamesh is turned into a werewolf by an evil goddess, Ishtar, who sent him to kill his friends, Enkidu. The story of Gilgamesh is one of the earliest surviving works of literature dating back to at least 2100 B.C., when an unknown Sumerian scribe wrote the first few lines on clay clay tablets. So the North American legend of Rogaru. Rogaru legend is one of the most legendary and famous werewolf legends. The legend of Rogaru originated when French settlers settled in North America. It is a story about a man who turns into a wolf at night and attacks people. The primary source of the story is from France. Later, it spread to North America through the colony. It has taken its place among the Native American werewolf legends. The name of this creature described in the story was Rogaru. The mythology has several versions, but is generally included, includes a witch doctor, a bokor, cursed or congenitally crippled for breaching a taboo. So I'm guessing they made a deal with a witch doctor, broke the deal, and then they got turned into a werewolf. Yep. Typical. (laughs) Typical werewolf story. His physical appearance varies greatly depending on the storyteller's description, but he is usually feathered and about two feet tall. That's pretty small, actually. Yeah. Identified by his glowing red eyes, large claws, and fangs. I feel like I could take a two-foot werewolf. I don't know. Maybe.
1: Maybe. I don't think he could.
0: (sighs) But if they're, like, half human and still, like, having their internal battles. I feel yeah. like I could take him. All right. Because he's like not fully into it. like He's <laughs> fighting it still. So he's fighting a battle internally as yeah. well as an external one with me. <laughs> According to other explanations, he has long black hair covering his body except for his head and face. He also has an insatiable appetite for raw meat and human blood, just it, like Mike.
1: This is my my favorite one.
0: Hitler's werewolf army. <laughs> That's funny because like... <clears throat> Now I'm not going to go too crazy at this one, but as I've been reading more and more history and like other things, like Hitler was a horrible person, but there's so many personalities throughout history. And you'll talk about one a little bit that were like infinitely worse than him. They're just not close to us. So we don't recognize it as the worst.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, recency bias, no one, I mean, you're not going out on a limb there saying Hitler was a terrible person. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah, (laughs)
0: yeah, he was like the worst freaking
1: person ever. Yeah, yeah, you know, obviously everyone's familiar with what he did, but yeah, if you're, if you love history, throughout history, there've been terrible tyrants that have done, you know, what Hitler did.
0: Genghis Khan. Yeah. Like what? Like 30 million people or something like stupid like that. Like yeah, it was just crazy.
1: It, it, that's just one that you can think of off the top of your head. But yeah, it goes back, you know, thousands of years. And unfortunately, you know, humans, while we're able to, you know, we have the capacity to do cr- amazing things. We also have the capacity to do really terrible things. Yeah. I'm glad so. we're
0: getting better.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's getting better. So let's
0: talk about Hitler's werewolf army. <laughs> Not only are werewolves terrible, they're also Nazis. Yes. A story that Hitler was a werewolf uh, has a werewolf army is based on rumor rather than a myth. The Nazis were obsessed with the occult. Many of its leaders believed in the werewolfen or werewolf legend who would rise to become the Führer's guard. The story is based on Germanic prophecy that foretold the shapeshifter race. Legend has it that these creatures arose when a wolf fed on a human corpse. They were said to be strong and fierce warriors who could turn into wolves. Adolf Hitler himself used the legend. The man born as a wolf always remains a wolf. He wrote in Mein Kampf. He even claimed that his ancestors was such a creature.
1: Yeah. So that, um, that's pretty crazy. Obviously he didn't have a real, uh, werewolf army. Yeah.
0: We don't have to go out on a limb on that one,
1: but you can (laughs) see, I mean, he, he was crazy. You know, a lot of his loyal supporters were crazy and I, it's not far-fetched to think that some of them actually believed these stories. Um, yeah. So, so Joe just gave a, a pretty good you know, summary of a lot of the, the origins and history of werewolves. I'm going to go into vampires. And I think everyone probably has a very Hollywood idea of what vampires are. You know, like uh, Twilight, the Twilight series. Um, I was a big fan of the show on FX. Um, oh, it was. Do you remember that show where they got infected by this thing called the Strigoi? Y-
0: yeah, they turned
1: into like creatures that fed on people. They had like tongues that came out of their yeah, mouths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what it was. I can't though. remember the name of the show, but so what are vampires? Everyone kind of knows what a vampire is based on you know, you've seen Dracula or but a, a vampire is a creature often fanged that preys upon humans generally by consuming their blood. Central to the vampire myth, however is the consumption of human blood or other essence, such as bodily fluids or psychic energy, followed closely by the possession of sharp teeth and fangs, which uh, they use to get that blood. In most depictions, vampires are undead, that is to say, having been somehow revived after death, and many are said to rise nightly from their graves or coffins, often necessarily containing their native soil. Vampires are typically said to be pale skin and range in appearance from grotesque to, uh, to beautiful, depending on the tale. Another frequently cited physical characteristic is the inability to cast a reflection or shadow, which often translates into an inability to be photographed or recorded on film.
0: <clears throat> that's why we don't ever see them.
1: That's, that's true. A person may become a vampire in a variety of ways, the most common of which is to be bitten by a vampire. Other methods include sorcery, committing suicide, contagion, or having a cat jump over a person's corpse. So uh, keep your cats away from funerals.
0: Just a cat jumping over a corpse makes a vampire?
1: In some myths. (sighs) (laughs) So uh, some people, this is kind of strange. um, Some people believe that babies born with teeth or on Christmas or between Christmas and the Epiphany were predisposed to becoming vampires. I do. Are there babies that are born with teeth? Yes. Really? It's super creepy. Wow. That would be really weird. I'm going to look it up. (laughs) Um, So, well, Joe does that. Uh, (laughs) I'm just leaving
0: it on the screen while I search for it. Babies with teeth.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Isn't that weird? That is so strange.
0: (laughs) It even says babies with teeth is the most horrifying, funny thing.
1: (laughs) Wow. That is creepy. Oh oh my gosh see that might be more creepy than vampires (laughs) i bet danny devito was born with teeth wow i had no idea babies could be born with teeth oh my gosh for those of you listening joe has pulled up real pictures of babies with teeth
0: that's so that's so wild Wow. <laughs> He's going to fall. This has got to be fun. Pho- this one's got to be photoshopped. They can't be real. Yeah. That one doesn't look, the other ones look real. Wow. All right. Unless these are all, I hope those are real. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. It's so creepy. <laughs> oh, my. That one looks photoshopped.
1: Wow. All right. I got to stop looking at that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, look that one. <laughs>
0: That's so wild. Yeah, I I hope none of my grand, I'm sure they, grandkids kids are
1: born. With, oh no. I'm sure they've all grown into like normal looking kids. Oh
0: yeah. It's it's not like an abnormality outside just, of the fact that that doesn't normally happen. But I have heard about that. Okay, and wow. This is the first time I've really looked at pictures.
1: I had no idea that was a thing. <laughs> that, one. that yeah, that they just look like they're too old for their body. Yeah. It's so creepy. Wow. So all right, getting back to something less terrifying vampires. Yeah. Um While vampires usually do not die of disease or other uh, normal human afflictions, and they are indeed often said to have faster-than-normal healing capabilities, there are various methods for their destruction. The most popular of those obviously includes a wooden stake through the heart, fire, decapitation, and exposure to sunlight. Vampires are often depicted as being repelled by garlic, running water, or Christian implements such as crucifixes and holy water. So we are going to get right into... The history of vampires, and then got some, a couple interesting true life vampire scares that have happened, including one here in America, shockingly. Not that long ago. Uh-huh. So, like after True Blood came out? No, not recently, but within okay. the last, I would say, 150 years. So, not that long ago. So, we're going to start with the vampire OG, as I called it, uh, Skegmet. I'm sure I said that wrong. This is. The oldest recorded vampire in history, she was a warrior goddess in ancient Egypt. Though the term vampire would not have been used... Joe's looking up the word. I'm going to try I said it. segment. Segment. Sek-me. Segment. 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 Sekmet. Interesting. There you go. Though the term vampire would not have been used at this time, this feline monster lady fits the bill and historians often consider her to be the first ancient vampire tale. Sketmet was not only a warrior goddess, but a god of death and healing as well. The combination creating a definite feeling of similarity within vampire folklore. Obviously, like we said, vampires have internal death and internal life at the same time. Her father, the sun god Ra, sent, sent her to punish mankind for the unfaithful disobedient habit, habits by slaughtering them. As she killed people, she drank human blood to give herself power. There you go. Wow. So yeah, that yeah, is. I can see the Egyptian like
0: influence. Yeah,
1: kind of looks like one of the. I mean, this is a, a little.
0: Yeah, this is obviously a more modern artist rendition, but yeah,
1: yeah, it's interesting. So it's it's really f- kind of cool how far back these myths really go, and how like you're gonna really see with the vampire one here how it really <clears throat> evolved over time into like what we see as like modern day vampires. So. The, <clears throat> our next vampire takes us to 40 B.C. Israel and the legend of Lilith. In Jewish folklore, as old as 2,000 years ago, Lilith is a fascinating figure. In texts such as the Alphabet of Sirach, written around 800 A.D. and the Dead Sea Scrolls, dated to around 40 B.C., Lilith is the first wife of Adam before Eve. She was created simultaneously with him from the same mortal clay as opposed to Eve, who was created later from Adam's rib. During the Middle Ages, the legend of Lilith continued to grow, de- t- detailing how she not only refused to be Adam's uh, subservant, but also how she left Eden and got in good with Sam, uh, Samuel uh, and Arch- Archangel. Her name in Archangel. Archangel, what I call Archangel. Archangel. Yeah, not Not, an arch. arch. He's the angel of arches. Ark, I should know that. Her name is ancient Babylonian, a name for female demons and spirits. They believe that she remembered being human and still snuck into houses and victimized wives, then taking their place. So a pretty terrifying uh, myth. I bet
0: there's some guys out there that think their wife's been replaced with Lilith. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) All right. I didn't say me. <laughs> Your wife's mad at you. Have you been replaced with a vampire?
1: With a, so now we're moving on to what I call the real Dracula. Uh, <clears throat> this happened between 1456 and 1462. I did not know of this, but Joe claims he, he knew about this. But, uh, this I claim it. He claims I'm not sure. So <laughs> what I, who I'm talking about is uh, Vlad Dracul also known as Vlad the Impaler, and it's thought that Bram Stoker named Count Dracula after this guy. Uh, Vlad Dracul was born in Transylvania, Romania. He ruled uh, Wallachia, Romania, off and on from 1456 to 1462.
0: This is a dude who's worse than Hitler.
1: Uh, Yeah. One of them. Some historians describe him as a just yet brutally cruel ruler who valiantly fought off the Ottoman Empire. He earned his nickname because his favorite way to kill his enemies was to impale them on a wooden stake. According to legend, Vlad enjoyed dining amidst his dying victims and dipping his bread in their blood. Pretty, pretty terrifying. Yeah, I'll have to see, you keep
0: going, but I'll have to see there was like, um, they explain like they would do something with the person so they'd be slowly lowered. Yeah. So they wouldn't just be impaled fast, it'd be super slow and he would sit and eat food and watch.
1: Wow. So (laughs) just
0: super disturbing.
1: Many people believe these stories sparked Stoker's imagination to create Count Dracula, who was also from Transylvania, sucked his victim's blood, and could be killed by driving a stake through his heart. Fast forward now to Italy in 1576. uh, We have vampires in Venice. Uh, As the plague was hitting Venice, Italy uh, in the 1500s, partly owing to the close quarters of the city's construction, um, so you had a lot of turmoil in... The Middle Ages around this time. With, I, I watched a documentary on the plague, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it wiped out like a huge percentage of the human population on the planet.
0: Like at least ten people.
1: Yeah, and it 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 happened over hundreds of years. Like it wasn't something that like started and ended in a few years. It people were affected by the plague for. Uh, here's a, a fun long trivia. <clears throat>
0: Do you know what's commonly associated with, as the animal transmissing the plague versus the one that actually did it? No. Uh, a lot of people think it was
1: rats, yeah. but it was
0: actually the fleas on the rats.
1: Oh, interesting. Yes. So, um, however, uh, one of the interesting artifacts that feeds directly into the timeline of vampire myth- mythology uh, was this Venetian woman whose grave was uncovered in 2006. In a mass grave of plague victims, one particular skeleton stood out. A brick had been jammed directly through her teeth and into her jaw, a known custom of vampire exorcism in Europe at the time. While some researchers believe that the brick fell in after burial, others, such as the excavator Matteo Borini, confidently point to it as an early archaeological evidence of a confirmed vampire. So he he thinks she was a vampire. Um, so fast forward a little bit to the 1600s, and... This is an interesting thing that a lot of times disease caused people to think, you know, create a myth or a legend based on a disease they didn't understand. Well, and
0: just think <clears> about <throat> when you're sick, like if you have a fever, you can start hallucinating. So you have yeah. a lot of people that are hallucinating and making up crazy stories.
1: Can you look up this word, Joe, while I talk? So, um, Did you click on it so I can jump to where you're at? Yep. So uh, this disease went through Europe. It it spread through Europe pretty bad in the 1600s. Joe's looking it up right now. So let's
0: guess uh, porphyria. Porphyria. (laughs) That's what I think it is. Porphyria. Porphyria. There you go.
1: People are going to be so mad. We've been looking up so many words.
0: It doesn't matter. I think they're going to be more mad that we're getting them right so they can't complain.
1: (laughs) So while not a single historical, uh, historical vampire, but rather a blood disorder called porphyria, the ailment uh, intersects with vampire folklore in interesting ways. Uh, Perforin, I believe I said that right, created, among other symptoms, rashes, red urine, pain, hallucinations, disorientation, and light sensitivity. People suffering from the disease, particularly in the Middle Ages when treatment was uh, scarce and they didn't know what it was, may have created the behavioral archetype for modern vampires. Archetype. Archetype. Oh, man, I'm having- You really want to say arch. I know. <laughs> Uh, This included their disorientated mental state. Disoriented, oh, you're <laughs> killing me
0: here. <laughs> no, I'm just doing it for this. That one you always get. And what's funny is I've heard lots of other people say that too. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It was like a fifty-fifty thing. Some people
1: say disorientated. Some people say disoriented. So, uh, <laughs> like anyway, Joe. Yeah, anyway, Joe. A lot of these symptoms ended up causing uh, severe blisters. That led to harsh burns when exposed to direct sunlight. This sensitivity was so severe that in some victims, they lost their noses and ears, leading to a demonic appearance. Ugh. So what a crazy disease. God, what a terrible
0: time to live. I know. Like, it, even when, like, if you're not being pillaged or at war, just, like, horrible disease
1: You're just diseases. dying anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just dying slower. So uh, we're fast forwarding now to the 1700s and uh, the vampire graves of Bulgaria. So in Bulgaria near the Red Sea, researchers in 2004 discovered 700-year-old skeletons in a burial site east of the town of Debelt. They theorized that similar rituals had been practiced for a long time, both in Bulgaria and Serbia, but also throughout the Balkan region. The skeletons were uh, pierced straight through the chest with iron rods. Researchers believe that these and the hundred or so other vampire skeletons are evidence of regional superstitions related to vampires. Is um, it slow to pull it? There it goes.
0: Yeah, I pull, I showed one before, but this one's cr- pretty crazy. Yeah, they found all these skeletons with... Yeah. No, that's just one picture. I showed one before, too.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, they believe the rods kept the bodies in their graves, uh, unable to rise and take new victims. The skeletons also had their teeth removed, presumably, so that even if they escaped, they couldn't bite anyone. So, bringing it bringing it back to America, we have the great vampire scare of the 1800s in the new england region so this leads into another story so it's a it's a little long so bear with me so um uh, <clears throat> in griswold connecticut in 1990 children playing near a hillside a gravel mine found the first graves one ran home to tell his mother who was skeptical at first until the boy produced a skull Because this is Griswold, Connecticut, (laughs) what's up?
0: (laughs) Mom was skeptical, but then he produced a skull, and she's like, all right, I believe you.
1: Not, hey, where'd you get that head? (laughs) Right. Uh, Because this was uh, Griswold, Connecticut, in 1990, police initially thought the burials might be the work of a local serial killer named Michael Ross, and they taped off the area as a crime scene. But the brown decaying bones turned out to be more than a century old. The Connecticut State Archaeologist Nick Bellantoni soon determined that the hillside contained a colonial area farm cemetery. New England is full of such unmarked family plots, and the 29 burials were typical of the 1700s and early 1800s. The dead, many of them children were laid to rest in thrifty Yankee-style simple wood coffins without jewelry, jewelry or even much clothing, their arms resting by their sides or crossed over their chests. That is except for what they called burial number four. Bellantoni was interested in the grave even before the excavation began. It was one of only two stone crypts in the cemetery, and it was partially visible from the mine face. When Bellantoni lifted the first of the large flat rocks that formed the roof, he uncovered the remains of a red painted coffin and a pair of skeletal feet. They lay, he remembers, in perfect anatomical position. But when he raised the next stone, Bellantoni saw... uh, That the rest of the individual had been completely rearranged. The skeleton had been beheaded. Skull and thigh bones rested atop the ribs and vertebrae. It looked like a skull and crossbones motif, a Jolly Roger. I'd never seen anything like it, he said. Subsequent analysis showed that the beheading, along with the other injuries, including rib fractures, occurred roughly five years after death. Somebody had also smashed the coffin. The other skeletons in the gravel hillside were packaged for reburial, but not JB, as the 50-ish male skeleton from the early 1830s came to be called because of his initials spelled out on brass tacks on his coffin. He was shipped to the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Washington, D.C. for further study. Meanwhile, Bell and Tony started networking. He invited archaeologists and historians to tour the, the, tour <laughs> the excavation, soliciting theories. Simple vandalism seemed unlikely as did robbery because of the lack of valuables at the site. Finally, one colleague asked, ever heard of the Jewett city vampires in 1854 in a neighboring Jewett city in neighboring Jewett city, Connecticut, Connecticut. I can't talk tonight. (laughs) Townspeople had exhumed several corpses suspected to be vampires that were rising from their graves to kill the living. A few newspaper accounts of these events survived. Bell and Tony placed the phone call to Michael Bell, a Rhode Island folklorist who had devoted much of the previous decade to studying New England vampire uh, burials. The Griswold case Sorry. <laughs> the, that was a picture.: The Griswold case uh, occurred roughly at the same time as the other incidents Bell had investigated. Griswold was rural agrarian and bordering Southern Rhode Island, where multiple uh, exhumations had occurred. Many of the other vampires, like JB, had been disinterred, grotesquely tampered with, and reburied. In the light of these tales, Bell told of violated corpses, even the uh, post. How do you say that, Joe? Posthumous? Po- posthumous. 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 Rib fractures that began to make sense. JB's accusers had likely rummaged around in his chest cavity, hoping to remove and perhaps burn his heart. Yeah, look at this. Oh, so you found pictures of it. I found a picture of it, yeah. Wow. Isn't that wild? That's creepy. (laughs) It is super creepy. Yeah. So almost two decades after JB's grave was discovered, it remains the only intact archaeological clue to the fear that swept the region. Most of the graves are lost to time, uh, and any others that have been known, uh, the locals won't let you uh, dig them up. But reports from this time seem to hint at fear people had of vampires. City newspaper reports dished about the horrible superstition on front pages. A traveling minister described the exhumation uh, in his daily log on September 3rd, 1810. The moldy spectacle, he writes, was a solemn sight. Even Henry David Thoreau mentions the exhumation in his journal on September 29th of 1859. Though scholars today still struggle to explain the vampire panics, a key detail unites them. The public hysteria almost invariably occurred in the midst of a savage tuberculosis outbreak. Again, another disease like the, the blood disorder in Europe. Indeed, uh, the medical museum's tests ultimately revealed that JB had suffered from tuberculosis, um, or a lung disease. Very like it. Jeez. Like a sick dying of tuberculosis. Like you're a
0: vampire. Well,
1: they, I think they, it was after he died after he died. But so typically a rural family contracted the wasting illness. And even though they often received the standard medical diagnosis, The survivors blamed early victims as vampires responsible for preying upon family members who subsequently fell sick. Often an exhumation was called for to stop the vampires' predations. So, very interesting. Again, a disease that they didn't understand. And, you know, vampires at this point had been a myth for a long, long time. Medical science back then was just wild. Yeah.
0: Like we better dig up that body and kill it again. Stab it in the heart. Yeah. Better do that to
1: save other people. So thus
0: exposing yourself to tuberculosis once again, potentially.
1: So we've got one more story that kind of, uh, is related in a way. It's so, um, this is really the true American vampire story. And this is from the late 1800s. So this is what I said. More recent, very recent. So, uh mercy lena brown lived in rhode island um exeter can you look up that town i don't want to say that wrong e-x-e-t-e-r let's see exeter 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 rhode island exeter rhode island so mercy lena brown lived in exeter rhode island a, a deserted exeter Exeter, it was dubbed, or simply one of the border towns. It was largely a subsistence farming community uh, with poor soils. In the late 19th century, Exeter, much like uh, much of agrarian New England, was even more sparsely populated than usual. Civil war casualties had taken their toll on the community, and the new railroads and the promise of richer land of the West lured young men away. By 1892, the year Lena died, Exeter's population had dipped to just 961 from a high of more than 2,500 in 1820. Farms were abandoned, many of them later seized and burned by the government. And tuberculosis was ravaging the remaining families. Consumption, as it was called, had started to plague New England in the 1730s, a few decades before the first known vampire scare. By the 1800s, when the scares were at their height, the disease was the leading cause of mortality throughout the Northeast responsible for almost a quarter of all deaths. It was a terrible end, often drown out, uh, drawn out over years, uh, a skyrocketing fever, a hacking bloody cough and a visible wasting of the body. People dreaded the disease without understanding it. Though Robert Koch, I'll have to edit that out. <laughs> Leave it. Leave it. Whatever. <laughs> Robert Koch had identified the tuberculo- tuberculosis bacteria in 1882 News of the discovery did not penetrate the rural areas for some time, and even if it had, drug treatments would not become available until the (laughs) 1940s. The year Lena died, one physician blamed tuberculosis on drunkenness and uh, want among the poor. 19th century cures included drinking brown sugar dissolved in water and frequent horseback riding.
0: (laughs) So I mean, that sounds like a good time.
1: This, I, I would like
0: sugar water and to go ride a horse.
1: I mean, it, it is amazing when you think about how far we've come in 150 years. Uh, that was,
0: there's some comedian or something, a meme I read on the internet that just said, man, medical science a long time ago was wild. It was like, oh, you're It seems like you got ghosts in your blood. Better do cocaine about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like and then, that was not far off you know the term blowing smoke up your butt you know saying the other thing? yeah you know what that do you know what that is no it was a real medical treatment for drowning oh, really? where they would put a tube up your butt with a bellows and really? literally blow smoke up your butt wow it was only used for a short period of time i can't imagine probably mine. when they realized it didn't work <laughs> <laughs> wild you're drowning and they're like shoving stuff up your butt and blowing smoke in it like no
1: yeah, I mean, uh, barber, it worked like one time maybe, like the shock of it. Barbershops back in the day used to be kind of your all-purpose uh, place to go if like you needed a tooth pulled or they would do bloodletting. Yeah. Because back, uh, I don't know what time period it was, but uh, for a while their bloodletting was like the cure for everything. If That's you were, where their symbol came from, right? The red stripe around there? Well, it was, uh, they used to hang their bloody rags outside of their shop, yeah, and that's how the barbershop symbol eventually came to be. Um, we're getting kind of off the tracks yeah, here. Yeah,
0: but we're going to learn about it now. Look at the barbershop pole. The red representing blood and the white representing the bandages used to stem the bleeding. Yeah. Pole itself is said to said to symbolize the stick that a patient squeezed to make his veins and arms stand out more prominently for the procedure. Wild. blood, Yeah, for bloodletting. That's that's what they think um, it's for. There was hilarious. a really
1: cool show, The Nick, on Showtime a while back about medicine in the late like 1800s. A really good show. If anyone ever gets a chance to watch it, yeah, I'm just glad we
0: live today. You know what's funny? Uh, in like a thousand years, they're gonna look at the medicine today and be like, yeah. "Can you believe they are treating cancer with radiation directly yeah. <laughs> all over?" <laughs> right? Like, can you believe that? And it's like, here's the best thing we had?" Now they're yeah. like, "They're like, oh, you just take this pill and the cancer's all gone."
1: Right? Like, what were you doing? <laughs> so, uh, getting back to uh, Lena here, the Brown family living on the eastern edge of town, probably on the a modest homestead of thirty to forty. Uh, Acres began to succumb to the disease in December of 1882. Lena's mother, Mary Eliza, was the first. Lena's sister, Mary Olive, a 20-year-old dressmaker, died the next year. A tender obituary from the local newspaper hints at what she endured. Uh, They went on the right. The last few hours she lived was of great suffering, yet her faith was firm and she was ready for the change. The whole town turned out for a funeral and sang, Oh, sweetly solemn thought a hymn that Mary Olive herself had selected. Within a few years, Lena's brother Edwin, a store clerk whom one newspaper columnist described as a big husky young man, (laughs) sickened too and left for Colorado Springs hoping that the climate would improve his health. Lena, who was just a child when her mother and sister died, didn't fall ill for nearly a decade after they were buried. Her tuberculosis was galloping, as they would call it, which meant that she might have been infected but remained asymptomatic for years, only to fade fast after showing the first signs of the disease. As Lena was on her deathbed, her brother was, after a brief remission, taking a turn for the worse. Edwin had returned to Exeter from the Colorado resorts in a dying condition, according to one account. If the good wishes and prayers of this many friends could be realized, friend Eddie would speedily be restored to perfect health, another newspaper wrote. But some, night, some neighbors, likely fearing for their own health, weren't content with prayers several approach several approached George Brown the children's father and offered an alternative to take uh, alternative take on the recent tragedies perhaps an unseen diabolical force was preying on the family it could be one that it could be that one of the three brown women wasn't dead after all instead secretly feasting on the living tissue and blood of Edwin as the Providence journal later summarized so this was like reported in a newspaper yeah. So if the offending corpse, the, the journal, uh, uses the term vampire in some stories, but the locals seemed not to, was discovered and destroyed, then Edward would recover. The neighbors asked to exhume the bodies in order to check for fresh blood in their hearts. George Brown gave permission. On the morning of March 17, 1892, a party of men dug up the bodies as the family doctor and a journal correspondent looked on. George was absent for unstated but understandable reasons. After nearly a decade, Lena's sister and mother were barely more than bones, but Lena, though, had been dead only a few months, and it was in the winter. The body was in fairly well-preserved state, and the correspondent later wrote, the heart and liver were removed, and in cutting open her heart, clotted and decomposed blood was found. During this impromptu autopsy, the doctor again emphasized that Lena's lungs showed Diffuse tuberculosis germs Undeterred, the villagers Burned her heart and liver on a nearby rock Feeding Edwin the ashes Sadly, he died less than Two months later So-called vampires do escape the grave In at least one real sense Through stories Lena Brow's surviving relatives Saved local newspaper clippings and family scrapbooks Alongside carefully copied recipes Even at the time New England's vampire panic struck Onlookers as baffling. The late 1800s were a period of social progress in scientific flowering. Indeed, many of the Rhode Island exhumations occurred within 20 miles of Newport, a high society summer hangout, where uh, thousands of the Industrial Revolution vacationed. At first, only people who lived in or had visited the vampire ridden communities knew about the scandal. We seem to have been transported back to the darkest age of unreasoning, ignorance, and blind superstition instead of living in the 19th century and in a state of calling itself enlightened and Christian, one writer at a small-town Connecticut paper opined in the wake of an 1854 exhumation. But Lena Browns made news. First, a reporter from the Providence Journal witnessed her unearthing. Then a well-known an uh, anthropologist named George Stetson Stetson traveled to Rhode Island to probe the barbaric superstitions in the surrounding area published in the venerable American anthropology journal anthropologist journal Stetson's account of the New England's vampires made waves throughout the world before long even members of the foreign press were offering various various explanations for the phenomenon perhaps the neurotic modern novel was driving the New England madness or maybe shrewd local farmers had simply been pulling Stetson's leg. A writer for the London Post declared that whatever forces drove the Yankee vampire, it was an American problem most certainly not a product of British folk tradition. In the Boston Daily Globe, a writer went so far to suggest that perhaps the frequent intermarriage of families in these backcountry districts may partially account for some of their <laughs> characteristics. So... Um, he had a bone to pick with that whole yeah. thing topic. you could tell ahead of time. Yeah, so finally, uh, one 1896 New York world Clippy even found its way into the papers of a London stage manager and aspiring novelist named Bram Stoker, whose theater company was touring the United States that same year. His masterpiece, Dracula, Dracula was published in 1897. Some have wondered if this story of Lena inspired Bram Stoker, and others have said that, it was the screenplay had already been written. It was too soon, but uh, very interesting. You can see that there were a lot of skeptics at the time, but th- this was a legitimate scare that swept the New England area in that time, and we're talking, you know, the 1850s through 1890s, not that long ago. No, um, so it's it's interesting how the. Vampire morphed from what it was, you know, thousands of years ago to what we see now. So, Joe is going to get into our final fearsome creature of Halloween. Yes, ghosts. I have to scroll back down. I was you can doing, click on my name. Yep, there we go. Ghosts,
0: Mike. What are they? <laughs> a ghost is a soul or specter of a dead person, usually believed to inhabit the netherworld and to be capable of returning in some form to the world of the living. According to the descriptions or depictions provided by believers, a ghost may appear as a living being or as a nebulous likeness of the deceased or occasionally in other forms. Belief in ghosts is based on an ancient notion that human spirits are separable from the body and may maintain its existence after the body's death. In many societies, funeral rituals are believed to prevent the ghost from haunting the living. A place that is haunted is thought to be associated by the haunting spirit with some strong emotion of the past, remorse, fear, or the terror of a violent death. Individuals who are haunted uh, are believed to be responsible for or associated with the ghost's unhappy past experience. The traditional visual manifestations of haunting include ghostly apparitions, the displacement of objects, or the appearance of strange lights. Auditory signs include dismembered, uh, disembodied laughter, and screams, footsteps, ringing bells, and the spontaneous emanation of sounds from musical instruments. All those things sound terrifying.
1: What's the show, um, the two guys, they're ghost hunters? Um, is, it, is it called Ghost Hunters? No, it's, a, it's <laughs> not real. It's not like a reality show. Um, supernatural? Oh,
0: I think, was it, it's not on anymore, is it? No. Was it a comedy?
1: No, it was kind of like an X-Files type show. Is this it? Um, oh, let me pull up some images. That might be it. I don't know. I can't remember this sh- yet. Yeah, Click on that picture. This one right here? Yeah, what, what's that say? It
0: says the cast, where are they now?
1: Oh, yeah, it was super. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm only through season two. I started during COVID, and then I got on the other shows, but... They, the plot, basically, these two guys are able to like see ghosts and they go around hunting them. It's actually a cool show.
0: I'm going to start. What is it on? Uh, Netflix. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go check it out.
1: Or Hulu, one of those. Hulu,
0: one of the places with shows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's some origins and stories from history. First ghost sighting in recorded history is in Rome, the first century A.D., Uh, The great Roman author and statesman Pliny the Younger recorded that one uh, one of the first notable ghost stories in his letters, which became famous for their vivid account of life during the heyday of the Roman Empire. Pliny reported that the specter of an old man with a long beard rattling chains was haunting his house in Athens. The first poltergeist sighting recorded... Uh, and a poltergeist is something that causes physical disturbances. If you've seen the movie Poltergeist, where they put <laughs> the kid on the floor and it just he slides to the other or spot, or
1: the opening scene in Ghostbusters in the library. Yes, that yes, part two where The books are shooting out.
0: Uh, the first sighting recorded was in Germany in 856 A.D. Uh, uh, <clears throat> hold on. let me see here. So uh, they do sub- such disturbances, loud noises, objects falling or being thrown around. Uh, It was reported in a farmhouse in Germany. The poltergeist tormented the family living there by throwing stones and starting fires, among other
1: things.
0: (laughs) Uh, In England in the 16th century, Anne Boleyn, the second wife of King Henry VIII and mother of Queen Elizabeth I, was executed at the Tower of London in May 1536 after being accused of witchcraft, treason, incest, and adultery. A lot of things levied against her. Yes. It sounds like he wanted a divorce instead. Yep. Sightings of Bolin's ghosts have been reported at the tower as well as in various other locations, including her childhood home, uh, Heaver Castle in Kent. The Flying Dutchman of the 17th century. The Flying Dutchman, the world's best known non human ghost, is a 17th century merchant ship said to haunt the high seas. According to Sea Lore, The ship, which often appears as a hazy hazy image or a strange light, is said to be the portent of bad luck and doom. The story has been adapted many times, but one of the more common versions tells of a Dutch captain named van der Decken refusing to take safe harbor during a storm while traversing the Cape of Good Hope, despite pleas from crew and passengers. Instead, the impudent captain challenged God to take them down. The ship was prominently cursed and in its ghost form is damned to never find port again. The ghost ship has been reported on, all o- on the ocean from time to time, including appearing off the coast of South Africa in 1923. The Flying Dutchman most recently appeared in movie theaters across the country in the Pirates of the Caribbean films, captained by Davy Jones.
1: Yep. <clears throat> the
0: Tennessee Witch, 1817-1821. to 1821. The events that allegedly happened at John Bell's Tennessee farm between 1817 and 1821 are a classic American ghost story that you may have never heard about. Bell shot at a strange animal on his farm, but the creature disappeared before it could be harmed. Several weeks weeks later, the Bell family was tormented by a ghost that made terrifying sounds, shook the house, and physically attacked Bell's daughter, Betsy. The uh, spectral assaults continued for several years, And at one point, Andrew Jackson is said to have dabbled in ghost hunting and did his own investigation. (laughs) Though some authors recount the Bell Witch tale as a true account, there's little evidence that it is anything other than a ghost story. Jackson, for example, never mentioned the Bell Witch case at all. It seems that the future president's role was created from thin air, possibly to lend the appearance of a reality to the fictional tale. The Sloss Furnaces in Alabama, 1906. Five years after the Civil War, Birmingham, Alabama was founded. With its birth in 1871 came the need for tons of pig iron to fix the U.S.'s crumbling infrastructure. So Colonel James Withers Sloss began to, <laughs> Colonel <James Withers> sloss <laughs> began to build Sloss Furnaces. A year later, the company opened its doors to hundreds of employees according to its official website. Jobs on the blast furnaces were advanced but also dangerous, and many workers started falling to their deaths in the furnaces. This is a crazy story. That's nuts. By the early 1900s, conditions had had worsened with a cruel with a cruel foreman, James Slag Wormwood. Oh, is that where they get the term slag from? I don't know. Uh, who took dangerous risks to increase production according to Reader's Digest or that's his he was given his nickname. Yeah. Slag is like, I think the stuff on when you're like melting down metal, the top yeah. crap is the slag. Yep. It's like waste. During his tenure at Sloss, nearly 50 employees died on site and many others were involved in terrible accidents. Alleged, allegedly, his workers threw him into the furnace in retaliation in 1906. That's crazy. Today, you can still walk the grounds of the sloss furnaces if you dare. You may even hear Sleg's voice yelling, get back to work, <laughs> and witness other paranormal experiences.
1: That is crazy.
0: I want to go there.
1: Sloth sloth furnaces.
0: Yeah. I want to hear him yell at me, and I'll be like, <laughs> no. Uh, Zombie Road in Missouri, 20th century. Outside of St. Louis lies Zombie Road, a hotbed of ghostly activities. There are many stories stemming from the Lawler Ford Road, its actual name, from sightings of indigenous spirits wandering the stretch to victims of train accidents. There used to be active tracks there as well, like Della Hamilton McCullough, who was struck by a passing train. And in the 1950s, it became a popular late-night teen hangout spot with various murders happening in the area too. Oh. How <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. It's the 1950s. Like, hey, let's hang out here. But there's murders. Eh, eh. It's also been rumored to be the home base of of a murderer named Zombie who escaped a mental asylum. <laughs> These days, the stretch has been rechristened as a nature trail, but it's closed once, once night falls. Oh, it's closed once night falls. There you go. With hefty <coughs> fines for those who dare to trespass. We should see if there's any missing stories we can cover on right. that one.
1: So, yeah, those are uh, kind of just a rundown of... Uh, the last couple stories I just found interesting is why I include, yeah, them. Um, they're, they're neat stories. I had never heard of the Tennessee, Witch. um, I didn't really know anything about the flying Dutchman. I remember seeing it in like SpongeBob, the, no, the pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, I, I knew about the thing that happened in, with, um Elizabeth the first. Um, but I didn't know that she still haunted people. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, really interesting. Again, these stories go back thousands of years. Um,
0: oh, it was Anne Boleyn, not Elizabeth I.
1: Anne Boleyn. Yeah, oh, yeah, Anne Boleyn, sorry. She's um, the
0: mother of Elizabeth I.
1: Yes. Um, but, yeah, it's crazy. Like Ghost stories go back, you know, recorded ghost stories I go love, back to Rome. I love those stories. Yeah, and I'm sure they had stories well before the one that happened in Rome. It just never was, it was lost to the yeah, sands of time. it wasn't written down. Yeah, and uh, the same with the vampires. It's really interesting seeing how the vampire's myth over thousands of years formed kind of to like what we have today, like the Twilight vampires. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like sparkling, like wussy vampires. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's all fascinating. I, I know these episodes aren't as popular with our normal listeners, but I find them fun. Yeah, it's a special episode. Deal yeah. with it. <laughs> deal with it. So,
0: All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning into our show. We appreciate you all for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, where you can find the videos of each episode. Also, if you'd like to support the show monetarily, please visit our website or Facebook store to buy some cool swag. Additionally, you can subscribe to our Patreon account on YouTube, and now, I wrote it soon, but and now on Apple subscriptions where you'll have access to special events and additional shows for paid customers only. Lastly, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.